Otherwise, let's start making our way to 1 Kings chapter 10. And this morning, as we return to 1 Kings, with it, I think we have a moment of fairy tale type ending. A fairy tale ending. This is a moment in the life of King Solomon, but not just any moment. It is, it is truly a moment of moments, a great snapshot, a picture of an almost perfect fairy tale ending. Now, don't get me wrong, you may be thinking, did you miss something about Solomon? Uh, You didn't. He hasn't battled dragons or fought any evil villains. That's not what the story of Solomon's about. Up to this point in the life of King Solomon, he hasn't gone on any epic journeys. He hasn't trekked any mountains or crossed a sea. In fact, to become king and secure God's kingdom here, Solomon really hasn't had to do much at all. He was given wisdom by God. That maybe is the one thing that he did rather than ask God for riches. Back in chapter three, when God asked him, ask what you want and it will be yours. He didn't ask for riches or fame or glory. He simply asked for wisdom. And Solomon was given that wisdom by God, and since then, Solomon has put that wisdom to work. God's wisdom in Solomon's life has given Solomon so much success. The kingdom is quite secure. God's people have rest. The temple has been built where God's people can worship God and and offer sacrifices to God, where they can find forgiveness, where they can find access to God that they've been wanting. The kingdom is also growing. There's plenty of food, and there are so many resources coming into the kingdom and growing the kingdom, and it's pretty great. Again, Solomon, he hasn't had to overcome some great evil force. There are no antagonists to this story. There haven't been any plot twists. It's been pretty smooth sailing, maybe even kind of boring as far as stories go. And perhaps that's why we might mistake this chapter for what it really is. We might look at it and think, oh, this this isn't that big of a deal. So many, in fact, who study 1 Kings chapter 10, they look at it and they only see the negative. They look at it as a sign of so many bad things to come, as if it's the beginning of Solomon's downfall. And to be honest with you, spoiler alert, next week in chapter 11, Solomon will begin to unravel, but just because that shadow is is waiting for us, it doesn't mean that chapter 10 is automatically negative. That's not what it means. In fact, I would argue that you have to do more work to make this chapter say something bad about Solomon than to just let it give testimony to what it does. 1 Kings chapter 10, it's a chapter that points to the incredibly impressive picture of Solomon's kingdom. 
There is extreme prosperity here for God's people under Solomon's rule. So it's a great moment. This is a happy moment. This is a fairy tale, you know, happily ever after kind of moment. It's a moment in the life of King Solomon where we'll see this morning even a godless queen from Sheba can clearly see that God provides for his people. He loves his people. God's been very good to them. And that goodness, like we sang about this morning, that goodness of God is deserving of gratitude. Our big idea this morning, if you're taking notes, be grateful and be joyful for God's goodness. Be grateful and be joyful for God's goodness in your life. Let me say it another way. When God is good to you, when his love for you is so clearly visible, when his goodness is evident in your life, when it's hard to mistake, then we should let that goodness lead us to be thankful. We shouldn't doubt God's future goodness, when we experience his blessing and his goodness in our day right in front of us, it it shouldn't cause us to second guess what the future will be like, or really we shouldn't let it lead us to be, you know, to be those who question our own faithfulness. God's blessing in your life doesn't mean you're doing something wrong as if following God can only lead to difficulty in life. As if being a Christian can only lead to or is only supposed to be a life of hardship or trouble or struggle. Sometimes we can think that. People can mistake God's goodness not as a gift from Him, but as a sign of worldliness or a sign of unfaithfulness. Maybe a sign of misplaced priorities. And sometimes they use this chapter to prove that. And I disagree. When God is good to his people, they shouldn't take it for granted. We should be the same. We should be thankful when God's goodness abounds in our life. We should be thankful because we know who the gift is from and we know that that gift is good. When God's goodness is on display in your life, you should be thankful. You should be joyful. Because you know the Bible's true. You know James 1.17 is true. Every good thing given, every gift, every perfect gift, James writes, is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. So again, our big idea, be grateful, be joyful for God's goodness. Let's read chapter 10 together and we'll make a few observations here. God's word says this. Let's read it together. Now, when the queen of Sheba, she heard about the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with difficult questions. So she came to Jerusalem with a very large retinue with camels carrying spices and very much gold and precious stones. When she came to Solomon, she spoke with him about all that was in her heart. 
And Solomon answered all her questions. Nothing was hidden from the king, which he did not explain to her. When the queen of Sheba perceived all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food of his table, the seating of his servants, the attendance of his waiters and their attire, his cupbearers and his stairway by which he went up to the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. Then she said to the king, It was a true report which I heard in my own land about your words and your wisdom. Nevertheless, I did not believe the reports until I came and my eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told me. You exceed in wisdom and prosperity the report which I heard. How blessed are your men. How blessed are these your servants who stand before you continually and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God who delighted in you to set you on the throne of Israel because the Lord loved Israel forever. Therefore, he made you king to do justice and righteousness. Verse 10, she gave the king 120 talents of gold and a very great amount of spices and precious stones. Never again did such abundance of spices come in as that which the queen of Sheba gave King Solomon. Verse 11, also the ships of Hiram, which brought gold from Ophir, brought in from Ophir a very great number of almug trees and precious stones. The king made of these trees supports for the house of the Lord and for the king's house, also lyres and harps for the singers. Such almug trees have not come in again, nor have they been seen to this day. King Solomon gave to the queen of Sheba all her desire, which she requested besides what he gave her according to his royal bounty. Then she turned and went to her own land together with her servants. Verse 14. Now the author has some thoughts to say. He says, Now the weight of gold which came into Solomon in one year was 666 talents of gold. Besides that, from the traders and the wares of the merchants and all the kings of the Arabs and the governors of the country. King Solomon made 200 large shields of beaten gold using 600 shekels of gold on each large shield. He made 300 shields of beaten gold using three minas of gold on each shield. And the king put them in the house of the forest of Lebanon. Moreover, the king made a great throne of ivory and overlaid it with refined gold. There were six steps to the throne and a round top to the throne at its rear and arms on each side of the seat and two lions standing beside the arms. Twelve lions were standing there on the six steps on the one side and on the other. Nothing like it was made for any other kingdom. All King Solomon's drinking vessels were of gold, and all the vessels of the house of the forest of Lebanon were of pure gold. None was of silver. It was not considered valuable in the days of Solomon. For the king had at sea the ships of Tarshish with, with the ships of Hiram. Once every three years, the ships of Tarshish came, bringing gold and silver, ivory and apes and 
baboons, or maybe peacocks, we're not sure. So King Solomon became greater than all the kings of the earth in riches and in wisdom. All the earth was seeking the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put in his heart. They brought every man his gift, articles of silver and gold, garments, weapons, spices, horses, and mules, so much year after year. Now Solomon gathered chariots and horsemen, and he had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horsemen. He stationed them in the chariot cities and with the king in Jerusalem. The king made silver as common as stones in Jerusalem, and he made cedars as plentiful as sycamore trees that are in the lowland. We're almost done. Also, Solomon's import of horses was from Egypt and Kew, and the king's merchants Uh, procured them from Q for a price. A chariot was imported from Egypt for 600 shekels of silver and a horse for 150. What a deal. And by the same means, they exported them to all the kings of the Hittites and to the kings of the Arameans. Purpose of this chapter is to fill our minds with this picture Uh, a picture of incredibly impressive nature of what God had done through Solomon. What had God done? Well, God had given Solomon great wisdom, wisdom that a queen had heard of and wisdom that she wanted to test. And Solomon, it says in verse 3, could answer all those questions, all those riddles even of the queen. Our text says there was nothing he couldn't explain, and it goes on, and with it, really the first of two testimonies here about God's goodness, the first from this queen. The queen of Sheba could sense Solomon's wisdom, and she could see with her own eyes all of this goodness and blessing in this particular kingdom. And it starts with the temple, this house, this massive temple that God had built or that Solomon had built for God. We see that in verse four, and that's not where it ends. Verse five, here comes this massive list of what this queen observed. It's the food, the officials, their clothes, the cupbearers, the burnt offerings. All of it, it says, left her speechless. It took her breath away. That's what that means there uh, when it says she had no more spirit. The report that she had been given about Solomon, this wise king from a far, far distance away. Well, she says she hadn't really even heard the half of it. Verse 7. It's so much more than even what she had heard. And unless we be confused, it's not just Solomon, but verse 8, Solomon's men are happy as well. His servants were happy because they got to be near to this one whom God had given so much wisdom. They got to sit under this wise and godly king. And it's an incredible picture, a sort of culminating snapshot of how awesome the kingdom had become. And her response, look, verse 9. This is so important. This is the whole point. She says, blessed be the Lord. She says, blessed be your God because of what he has done. 
She can tell from all of this goodness and all of this abundance that God must surely love Israel a whole bunch. He had made this king to be so wise and he put this wise one over this kingdom to rule and to execute justice and to bring righteousness. Even this godless queen can tell that. What's her takeaway from this impressive display of God's goodness? It's gratitude. It's thankfulness. Bless the Lord, she says, for what he's doing here. And we can learn from that. We must remember, too, that the God of the Bible, the one true God, is is not her God, but she is impressed to the point where she can say this God of Solomon for what he has done for all of his goodness he deserves to be blessed he deserves to be thanked he deserves our genuine heartfelt gratitude God's people should let their gratefulness soar is what she's saying for all that he has done here are you kidding me Oh, you guys should be so thankful. God's people are happy. Even the servants, they're so joyful and they should continue to be that way because God loves them and there is justice and righteousness on display because of what God is doing through Solomon. In that first testimony, it would be enough, but of course there's more. It doesn't end with that first one. The author of this book continues to press the point, starting in verse 14, and gold is certainly this unmistakable word. Gold this, gold this, gold this, gold this. Everything's gold. We hear it over and over as we take this weird little tour through the kingdom For some reason, this shield exhibit on display in the house of the forest of Lebanon, we're just learning Solomon is bringing so much gold into the kingdom and he's putting it to use out of the, that's what, 666 talents, about 20 tons of gold a year. That's a lot. Uh, He's using some of it to make these shields and there are big ones 200 of them, like body length, about seven and a half pounds of gold. And little ones, he's made 300 of those, it would seem. Verses 16 and 17, talk about that. Those shields are made of pure gold, a lot of gold. It's just, it's awesome. Anybody who would walk through that would go, whoa. And as oppressive as those would have been, the author then takes us to the throne room for Solomon. And it's far more impressive. There's a throne, verse 18, it's made of ivory and there's more gold and there's lots of steps and lots of lions, but the point is clear. There's nothing like this anywhere, verse 20 says. No king has ever had anything like this. He's even going to flex on the cups that they use. These are no solo cups. These are no paper cups, no cups we'd use in junior high. These are pure gold drinking vessels. And just to make sure we don't miss the point, he even throws shade on silver. There's none anywhere. Silver's, verse 21, it's 
It's not in season. Nobody uses silver. <laughs> Get serious. So Solomon's not going to. No one in Solomon's day, it, it has to be gold. And of course, everything is made of gold. And if that weren't enough, there's more of the ships that go to Tarshish every three years. They show up with gold and silver, even though nobody wants it. But there's gold and silver and ivory and apes. And you can pick baboons or peacocks, depending on your Bible translation. Animals. And then we get to verse 26, and there's more. We learn of even more blessings. Solomon is importing horses and chariots, and he had so many that that some are exported, even to these kings of the Hittites and Syria. So the testimony of the authors here, it's so similar to what the queen has observed. Verse 23, if you go back, King Solomon, he says, excelled them all. He's exceeded them all. We can't forget, the author won't let us, that his wisdom is given from God above, but Everyone is is willing to do what it takes to get close to Solomon and hear his wisdom. The whole earth, including this queen who's traveled from the ends of the earth, everyone is, is trying to come and see this king, and they don't even show up empty-handed. They come bringing gift, gifts, all to make the point, something special to be near this king. Such goodness abounds Such gifting from God is clearly on display. And the author's testimony just shows us that God kept his promise. If you go back to chapter 3 and verse 12, we read there, it says, Behold, I have done according to your words. This is God speaking to Solomon who asked for wisdom. He says, Look, I've given you a wise and discerning heart so that there has been no one like you before you, nor shall one like you come after you. I have also given you what you have not asked for. Both riches and honor will be yours, so that there will not be any among the kings like you all your days. That's chapter 3, verse 12 and 13. So God kept his promise. Solomon's wisdom and Solomon's wealth, those are not his. Those were gifts. Those are from the Lord's hand. All this goodness clearly from the Lord. All of it, the author and the queen both want us to see this. It is not about Solomon at all, but it is entirely about God. It's so clear that, again, this queen of Sheba, verse 1 says, she comes to test Solomon with these tricky questions because she knew of what God had done. It was the Lord's reputation that drew her. It was the Lord's love of his people in verse 9 that caused her to realize that he is worthy of his people's gratitude, that God is worthy of, of his people being filled with joy. And it was the Lord giving wisdom and wealth, verse 24, that the author points to unmistakable, impossible to miss by the author. God's reputation, God's love, God as the source of giving. We need hearts that are quick 
to recognize the same source of good in our life. We should have similar responses when God is good, especially in those three categories, God's reputation, God's love, and God's giving hand. I have two sort of truths to take away from this chapter, and that's the first one. What truths are here for us? Number one, gratitude will grow when we respond to God's goodness like this. Gratitude will grow In your heart, in your life, you will have so much more thankfulness for God and joy for God when we respond this way. Let's go through it quick. When God is good, it should be his reputation first that grows, never ours. When God is blessing your life and his care is on display for you, it should be God's reputation that you think of first. The queen didn't come to Solomon because of Solomon's reputation. She came because of what she heard about Yahweh, about the Lord, about what he had done. And when God blesses and gives graciously to us, you know, we should desire that same outcome. Oh, that God's name would be glorified, magnified way more than mine. God's name far above mine, his reputation more important than my own. And I want to be so thankful because it's not about me. Those need to be our thoughts. But I'm aware that it is God who's given, God who's blessed, God who's been gracious in my life for whatever that thing is that you recognize as being from the Lord. May we be so quick to tell others that our our you know intelligence, our athleticism, our blessing, no matter what it is, is because God has been good, is because God has been kind. It should be clear that any good in our life is because of our good God. Second, I want us to be faster to recognize God's love. We can't miss that his goodness is motivated by love. The queen couldn't miss it, and we shouldn't either. She's able to identify it, and and we have to be able to do the same. Verse 9, because the Lord loved Israel. That's why God had been so good to Solomon, because he loves his people. And even though we are great sinners, we know that God loves us still. It's all over the Bible. I have 18 verses here to share with you. Let me give you a couple. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world... That includes you, that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. Romans 5.8, God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Ephesians 5.2, walk in love just as Christ loved you and gave himself up for you. 1 John 3.1, Last one, see how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. And if you're a believer, you can amen what John says, and such we are. God's goodness towards you is on display in a very different way than it was for Solomon. He hasn't blessed you with this wise king. It's actually so much better. He loves you so much that he sent his son to be king. 
He loves you so much that that king laid down his life for you. This king, King Jesus, is unlike any other human king that's ever existed ever. He came to serve, not to be served. He came to help you, not to have you help him. God's love is on display in the lives of those who truly believe. Not only his love to initiate the gospel and call us into his kingdom, but to bless us with a greater king and far greater riches, those riches of heaven, riches of eternal life, of being called his child, the riches of being permanently in his family. All of that love should call us to be grateful. All of that should drive us towards God. And it's a love that demands our belief. A love that calls us to turn from sin and to be saved. And for those who have, it's a love then that should call us to be grateful and joyful and thankful. To be so happy with what God has done in our life. And lastly, like the testimony of the author, we should never forget the source of the goodness in our life. Verse 24 speaks of the giver, speaks of the good hand of God that that gives. Remember always, any good you have, the giver is God. It's God who gives, who supplies. We know that his gifts are good and his gifts are perfect. His gifts are precisely what we need and when we need them. It's, it's an amazing thing to receive a gift from God, knowing that his gifts are perfect. And his gifts go past just salvation. Yes, it initiates with salvation, but God's goodness goes beyond that goodness to bless our lives with himself. He wants to fill your life with his spirit to teach you and grow you and help you and even bless you. That's why Paul can write in Philippians 1 6, I am so confident he writes of this very thing that God who began this good work in our lives will bring it to completion. Don't mistake God's goodness for anything else. Your success in this life, whatever form that may take, it's never about you. It's never from you. It's not your success. It is God's. It is God who is given, and when he does, and when he blesses, we should care more about his reputation than ours. We should recognize his love that's on display in our life, and we should never neglect his hand as the one who gives. And you guys, if you can recognize those truths, I promise you, your gratitude for God will increase. Your thankfulness towards him will grow along with your joy. And no matter how old you are, that's something which always seems to be lacking. How sad when believers are low on gratitude. What a shame to see a Christian low on joy. First Kings 10 hopefully helps. As we close quickly, I want to just give you one more truth to recognize from a chapter like this. Fast, number two, don't neglect the gift we have in God's word. 
Don't neglect the gift we have in God's word. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 12, warns the Pharisees and the scribes that this queen of Sheba, the queen of the south, uh, we're not quite done with her. She's going to find her way onto the scene again with a great condemnation for all those who reject God's truth. And in that passage, Jesus talks to those unbelieving Pharisees about who were so desperate for a sign. He talks to them in verse 41 and says, The men of Nineveh will rise up with this generation at the judgment and they'll condemn it. Why? Well, because they repented at the preaching of Jonah, Jesus says. And look, something greater than Jonah's here. The queen of the south, or Sheba, will rise up with this generation at the judgment and will condemn it because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And look, something greater than Solomon is here, Jesus says. Not only will the men of Nineveh rise up at the judgment and condemn them for their lack of belief, but so will the queen of Sheba. The Ninevites believed in Jonah's message, and the queen of Sheba came from across the earth to hear the truth and wisdom of of Solomon. And Jesus says, look, Someone far better than both of those men combined is here. Of course, Jesus was pointing to himself. The queen had less revelation. She had less truth. She had less connection to God and God's people. And yet she came because of what she heard about God. She wanted to know the truth. She wanted to see for herself if this God's reputation was valid, if this God was real, and the evidence left her breathless. She didn't ignore it. She didn't neglect it. And now Jesus in front of unbelieving Israel, these men standing in in front of not some prophet or king, but the son of God in front of Jesus. And there they are rejecting his message, refusing to listen, refusing to believe. And fast forward 2000 years to our day, so much more insight, so much more revelation of God's word, so much more access to the light so blessed to have the Bible and to understand it. So much more privileged than the Queen of Sheba. But listen, it doesn't matter if you're rebelliously resistant or just casually indifferent about this truth. If you reject its message, if you reject the Son of God, this Queen, Jesus says, will be there at the day of judgment to condemn you. And of course, the queen really isn't the point. But it is a reminder that God's word is real. It is a reminder that God's truth is real. Don't just dismiss it. Solomon is a real king. And God demonstrated his love towards the world through this king And the Ninevites were real, and Jonah was real, and this queen of Sheba was a real woman in history. And it all points to the same truth, that God is real, and his judgment is just as real. Only those who bow before the Son and believe in him for salvation, only a true believer will avoid this condemnation of the queen, but far more importantly, will they avoid the eternal punishment of their creator? 
Jesus' words should be our last and our only source of hope. The kingdom of God is at hand, he says, in his first and loudest sermons. Repent and believe the gospel. How do you avoid that judgment? How do you avoid that condemnation? Repent and believe the gospel. Jesus says, these things I've spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. How grateful we should be, how joyful we should be to know the truth. Father, thank you for a few minutes this morning to look at your word and to to be reminded of a great moment in history where your reputation was on display and your love on display and your goodness on display. God, help us to learn from the response of the people of that moment who look to you with gratitude and joy. God, as we consider your goodness in our own life, beginning with the gospel, Lord, and of course, spreading to so many other ways that you are good to us, would you help us to do the same? to be grateful for your goodness, to be joyful for your work in our lives. Lord, may we not neglect your word. May we be sensitive to its truth. Lord, help these young people to call out to you in faith. We pray this in the name of Christ, our King. Amen.